0: Because employers, so for example, you know, in the fitness industry, we've got customers who have 10,000 staff working, you know, in in swimming pools or in gyms. How do you physically get a message to all of those people to to just update them on what's going on in the organization? Um, And so in the early days, it was very much kind of, you know, we need to just deliver a piece of information and we need to know that they've seen it.
1: With an increasing amount of noise across social applications and social networks, how do you make sure when you have a diverse and varied workforce spread across many different locations, how do you make sure that those employees get the message that you're trying to get through to them? That was the challenge faced by our people and their founder, Ross, and we hear from him about how the business has grown over the last few years and adapted to try and help during the pandemic. This is Tech Talks, it's your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, where we talk to leaders from across the industry and bring you some technology news. Back on the show today with me is Akish, fresh from reveling in United beating <laughs> another United. Hi, <laughs> United, 4-1 at the weekend. castle kind of collapsed towards the end.
2: They did, mate. They, they did. It was, it was nervy, though. I remember me and you were kind of texting each other and, yeah.
1: I fully expected us to lose. I was surprised it, it, it took as long as it did for it to go to go a bit wonky. Yeah,
2: especially especially as I paid for it uh, after you know being one of those guys saying, "Oh, I'm not paying for extra matches," and then came to it well, and uh, I paid. So
1: this good. this is why I'm including this chat at the beginning of a technology podcast. I mean, people know that football creeps in every now and then to this show because I can't help it being a fan of Newcastle. It, it creeps in, but um, I'm, I'm going to make you feel bad now. Go on. Newcastle fans boycott pay-per-view and donate local fees sorry, fees to a local food bank the initiative has raised £19,000 for the West End Food Bank so far
2: fair on them, good on them yeah. It makes me feel bad
1: United <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so supporters have raised an estimated 19,000 by choosing to give a local food bank charity um, rather than watching their team on the pay-per-view over the weekend so Premier League matches in October which have been not been earmarked for regular televised coverage can be watched on BT or or, or, or Sky via the pay-per-view model many felt it's stepped too far already paying for regular subscriptions to broadcasters, et cetera, et cetera. So last week, the Newcastle United Supporters Trust claimed that the club have banked out 7 million in advance sales for season tickets, supporters unlikely to be able to use until next spring. So the food bank, yeah, basically basically, people decided, sod it. This is a load of crap. Yep. We're going to donate to to a food bank instead. And I feel guilty because I did boycott the match. I thought this is a bit of a joke, yeah. um, but I haven't donated you haven't to the food donated. bank. And I think I will. I think I will. No.
2: Well, that's good. I, I, I I, I, think, the match. I think
1: fans, should, <laughs> fans should, if they can, as opposed to, look. It's, obviously, it's a bit different. Your dad told you that he was coming around, and and uh, if you bought pizza, uh, yeah. if he bought pizza, you, would yeah. So one of the two. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't. I don't I'm not going to be preachy and have a go at people for watching pay per view sports events, but I think it's nice yeah. that in these times, bit of support for for local. Um, for a local food bank yeah. as opposed to, to the football. That's that's a nice message.
2: Absolutely. A bit of support to the frontline guys that are actually helping out in, in, in the kind
1: of hard times. Um, exactly. As we'll find out. And and that's kind of what we're talking about today. This is all beautiful. <laughs> this is all beautiful. People have tuned in going, why are they chatting about football? And now we're talking about key workers and frontline staff and helping during a pandemic, which takes us seamlessly into today's interview with our people and Ross. Today, we're talking to Ross Ross McCor. You are the CEO, and let me get this right. Are you founder or are you co-founder of Our People? Founder. Founder of fine. Our People, yes. Sometimes I say founder or co-founder, and someone, it's not quite right on LinkedIn. And then you go, <laughs> oh, no, we do, we do have a co-founder. And it's like, okay, I don't want to accidentally piss off half your, your co-founding <laughs> team without, without yes. being clear. Okay, fine. But founder of Our People. Very quickly, then, before we get into anything else... Um, what is our people?
0: So, uh, yeah, our people is a, a team communication platform. Um, so I'm sure a lot of listeners will have heard of the likes of, uh, Microsoft Teams and Slack and even good old Skype back in the day. Uh, I'm not sure who uses that anymore. Um, but uh, it's effectively a communication tool, but it's specifically aimed at frontline workers. So we we built a tool that, that effectively is aimed specifically at them rather than desk workers and office workers.
1: So what what do those frontline workers need a tool like that for? Because when you think of Slack, you do yeah. immediately think of an office environment yeah. of communication between people doing to be perfectly honest without being snobby about it, white-collar jobs rather than blue-collar jobs, right? Um, Sharing ideas, sharing spreadsheets, et cetera. Whereas you do just have the idea that a frontline worker is dealing very much in a transactional environment with someone in front of them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, the key thing is really the, the kind of relationship that employers have with their frontline workers is very different. The transaction that takes place between an employer and an employee in that environment is very different. So, for example, Slack. Slack is a great tool. We use it um, internally at our people, ironically, um, for our development team. Um, And and it's very, very well set up for for people working at a desk. Um, The the challenge that you've got with, with frontline workers is effectively there's a number of other apps that are out there, consumer apps, so WhatsApp, Facebook, that kind of thing that they're tuned into, that they're using in their personal lives, and effectively the the employee app, it, it there's a limited amount of screen time that they have on their phone and a level of investment that they're willing to kind of put into being in other apps. So the point of our people is rather than trying to create a situation where you have to be engaged with a almost like social network style app or an app that creates a lot of noise on your phone, our people is much more straight to the point and takes up a lot less time. And it just means that we can deliver information and that information is concise and the employer knows it's been seen. And so it's a very different kind of way of working, if that makes sense.
1: And this might go back to the heart of the original idea behind the company, but what, what kind of information are we talking about you needing to to... to- um communicate and disseminate to, to people?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. So um I guess just to give you some context, the the app was kind of born in the fitness industry. That's where my Um, background was with the previous software company so that's kind of where I started and I think really in the early days it was literally about communication so day-to-day getting information to people at the right time and what companies were doing given this was sort of five six years ago um, generally it was kind of a mixture of good old pin it on a notice board and hope hope that someone sees it and um, an element as well of um, just just information cascading. So the likes of, um, you know, email the manager, and the manager will pass that along to all the staff. Um, And also we were seeing kind of an element of of WhatsApp usage, casual kind of, you know, just groups being set up. Um, And then what happened? GDPR uh, came along, good old GDPR, um, and that kind of alerted these organizations to that kind of more consumer-based angle. And so... A, a large number of our customers, they kind of they saw GDPR as a great reason to find a solution to these kind of consumer messaging kind of um, tools that were being used in their business, and so ultimately they kind of pivoted to to, to using our people instead. It was, as I was saying in the early days, very much just around physical, you know, you need to get a message to someone or the right groups of people Um, because employers, so for example, you know, in the fitness industry, we've got customers who have 10,000 staff working, you know, in in swimming pools or in gyms. How do you physically get a message to all of those people to to just update them on what's going on in the organization? Um, And so in the early days, it was very much kind of, you know, we need to just deliver a piece of information and we need to know that they've seen it. And over time, that's evolved to become a lot more two-way. So, for example, through the app, we can send a document out and they can sign it, or we can send a a rating out and they can give us a rating. So it becomes a lot more, rather than initially it being very much a one-way communication tool, it's now very much become a two-way thing, but in a very controlled environment.
1: So what... you you mentioned that it started in fitness just out of interest what does your customer base look like today is that and how has that possibly changed the app i suppose as 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 your customer base has evolved
0: yeah really good question um so in 2018 um we started selling in america and that was probably the thing that really helped us to pivot out of the fitness industry um we Ironically, so launched in in fitness uh, in the UK um, and our first customer in the United States was a a Dunkin' Donuts franchise. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> well,
1: so, right, you know, good, cause the more donuts being sold, more people going in gyms as a consequence, that's, it just works A well, beautiful right? circle, circle of, life. Of, yeah. <laughs> of, of business development for you. Yeah.
0: And, um, and so I think really the, the really, I think the thing for me, so I'd never sold in America before with my last business, we were in Australia, we were in the middle East. And the thing about America is, and I've, I've been lucky enough to spend some time over there since, um, since we opened the office, um, yeah. I, I think the UK market are a lot more forgiving. I think right. in the U I think in the U S it has to be as simple as possible and as easy to implement as possible. Otherwise um, it's not good enough. And, and, and that's, that's great, right? Because ultimately it, it, it makes your business better um, because um, you know, ultimately you're, 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 you're catering for this audience where um, you know everything just has to work really well. it has to be implemented really quickly. Um, and so I think yeah from from uh, from a kind of a growth point of view, the biggest change has really been around catering for another language, which sounds ridiculous because I know we both speak English, but there's definitely the way that they use it, the way that they um, kind of read it it's it's it is very different and and so that evolved massively with that growth in the us.
1: Now, I suppose the interesting point would be around uh, the the perception change to to key workers and frontline workers, because it was interesting hearing you talk about the fact that your app has become two-way communication. Instead of it just being something to push notifications to people, and quite a transactional one-sided relationship that would speak to the fact that that workforce has evolved slightly and is viewed somewhat differently by the organizations who are are employing and engaging with those staff, right?
0: Yeah, I think, so I think certainly in the last 10 years and, and probably even more recently than that, the way that we engage with our phones has changed significantly. I think, It's now become this thing that's so kind of part of our lives and entrenched in our lives. And I think, you know, back in the day, you could write a piece of software and it would be okay and it would do its job. And I think apps take you to a completely different level in terms of um, anyone can spot a bad app. Anybody will get upset if an app doesn't respond quickly or takes up too much of your time or notifies you too much. And so... the the kind of the key angle for what we're doing is we're very aware that the people that we're communicating with are frontline workers so they are the people who are you know in in the gym with the customers who are in the hospital with the patients who are in the at the reception desk at the hotel it's so important that employers are engaging with these people and educating these people because ultimately they are the the voice of the organization, the voice of the business. And I think five years ago, we had to sort of educate people to this problem, businesses to this problem. And and that has now shifted very much to that. They now know, they they know that this, this is a problem that they need to get on top of, that they need to be able to communicate and, and and do it well. And so I guess the whole the whole two-way kind of piece is it, it, it's crucial because ultimately we we were very much going down the route of we don't want to be annoying to these these people. We don't want to be blowing up their phones with lots of chat notifications and all of that sort of stuff. And the, the other risk that you have with with lots of noise, I guess is the way I describe it, is really important communications can be missed. You know, you've, everyone's got WhatsApp. You, you, you look at your phone and you've got 200 new notifications in a group that you're you're in.
1: WhatsApp, Telegram signal.
0: Yeah. And then times that by the five, 10 notification apps you've got. And, and, you know, and then how many times do you just open the app, clear the notifications and, and, and just move on. And so that, that is very much the problem that we are aware of and trying to solve. And so um, I guess back when when the whole COVID situation uh, kicked off back in March, we saw that th- that ultimately our product could could do good, um, could could be a really positive force, and so we we pivoted the business. Um, we we kind of saw that the NHS would be a really really good organisation to talk to, um, crucially because you know the sheer number of frontline workers that ultimately need communication and covid made that even more important
1: without wanting to be cynical though was that was there an element that organizations valued those staff more than they had or those individuals more than they had because they became so integral to the success and that you know public perception around them was raised which is is wrong to think that people who worked on the front line in the supermarket for example were not viewed as valuable before the pandemic. But obviously there's been a spotlight spotlight thrust on the fact that these people are putting themselves very, very tangibly in harm's way. And I suppose an organization now wants to make sure that it's doing more for those staff.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the world has had changed very much, hadn't it? Um, suddenly getting in the car and going to work became dangerous, you know? and And so yes, I think in that situation, these people who are, you know, on the front line, whether that be a supermarket, whether that be a hospital, their job does become riskier. Um, Did
1: did that lead to a change in the functionality of what those organizations wanted the app to do? So for example, you mentioned you could send a document to sign through the app. Obviously, as we move towards a world where you want to be, uh, I I suppose there needs to be um, less friction. And you want it to be in one place and easier and less physical documentation. I don't know timesheets, um, information around track and trace. Any of those kind of aspects have come into play, or, or is, has it still been around core messaging? It's
0: it's it's even simpler than that. So so the the main thing that that the key thing that we were were tasked to do was to to just cut through the noise to ultimately. So so the NHS being a prime example. They wanted to do, and this isn't the whole of the NHS, this is one trust in, in Bristol where we're based. I'm talking about, they wanted to do a briefing on a daily basis and and know that this critical information was getting to everybody. And so, you know, they they have they have an intranet, they have other me- methods and mechanisms of communication, right. obviously, but, but they knew that that we could deliver that message. And so effectively, we, we, we pivoted to create a cut down version of our product, which we gave to them for free to use. Um, and and the, the one kind of pivot that we made was actually, so we deliver communications via push notifications in the app, which is obviously free. We added the ability as well to detect if that user had installed the app on their phone. And if they hadn't, we deliver the communication as an SMS. So good old SMS. That actually, if you look at the stats, does actually do a really good job of of, of engaging and delivering to people. Um, that's kind of the the add the add on. It's crazy. Just that that simple little tweak.
1: So it's what, so what really we're doing. saying is that actually, actually the, the the added onus on getting that communication right has yeah. led to a bloat-free product that cuts yeah yeah so
0: yeah so we we, it was so so the app can do a lot a lot more um but we we created almost like a stripped down version of it um which yeah which which seemed to to work very well
1: where do you see the business going i mean what you mentioned there you, you know you've got developers you're 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 you've got obviously new customers who are interested in the product uh you know getting communication Right now for each organization has never been more important mm. where's that taking you as a business
0: yeah really good question i think so for us it's very much around um carving out our own niche um we we don't see the likes of slack as a competitor to to our company because it's, it's solving a very very different problem um so for us it's about continuing to um grow our product into other verticals into other territories but crucially it's around growing uh, people's awareness of of the problem and and ultimately our solution to it Um, and so with that rather than so at the moment everything that we send out is fairly sort of um, you have to kind of build it and you can send it or you build it and you schedule it to go for later and what we're doing is kind of creating a whole new level of automation which allows you to kind of send stuff at certain times and it's kind of sort of quite uh sort of automated in its approach um as well as as uh, integrations that's the other kind of thing i, I think mm-hmm. the number of the number of um, organizations we work with that say can it link to this and can it do this so it almost becomes that hub that kind of front line for the front line yeah. workers if that makes sense
1: oh look one last thing on a personal level that i want to ask you yes yes you're fa- you're founder of the business yeah you are sat in your office the podcast listeners won't be able to see this, but there is no one else in shot behind you as no. someone who is building something they are passionate about. How difficult has that been to transition to?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's back in the early days, we were kind of toying with the idea of, do we kind of make the company just completely remote working? Um, and we decided fairly on, we made a conscious decision fairly early on that we wanted to be an in person kind of office. Um, there's always been an element of working remotely because obviously you've got a team in America, a team in the UK. Um, but it, yeah, it's tough. Um, I had a meeting the other day that people are starting to come back in. They they are, uh, obviously social distancing, but they are coming back in. Um, but you, I don't think you realize how much you miss that kind of physical interaction with a group of people in a room. You know, I, I think video conferencing can only really take you so far and um and yeah it's been really difficult and I've definitely missed having the team around me
1: well look it's been fascinating to have a chat about communication essentially and what kind of matters communication wise to organizations at the moment it's great to hear that you've got a potential solution for for organizations so I thank you for your your time today and good luck for the for the weeks and months ahead before we get into anything um Overly serious. I do love the fact that it started out as a fitness-focused mm. um, app and they pivoted to the States with Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, I know we make a joke of it in the podcast, but I love that Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> were his
2: first client in the US. And also, what does that say about I mean, yeah, it plays into a lot of stereotypes about the States, doesn't it? Donuts, coffee, Seven Eleven slush puppies, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um,
1: coffee's like a New York thing rather than a States is thing, it? isn't it? I don't know.
2: I, I just I, I just assume it is a, a, a states thing but then in more recent times it's all very shoreditch and very hipster and southeast no, london not, you know so
1: coffee's not unhealthy no it's
2: not. not like a donut is well,
1: or a, a slush puppy yeah but um yeah yeah i do love the fact that that was what helped break them in the states yeah, very um good. and
2: also massive brand in the states though if you think about it huge mm, brand um, yeah absolutely very Great very um, yeah very like household name isn't it so Good.
1: And shows that there's there's a model here that works, right? And I mean, I don't know about you, but for work, we've got Teams. Mm. We've got Yammer. Mm. And I know Yammer and Teams are all part of the Microsoft suite, but again, it's something else to check. Yeah. Um I use WhatsApp. Yeah. Um LinkedIn. Yep. Yeah. Certainly for work. I do use Twitter for work, legitimately for work, and Instagram. There is a lot of noise out there, right?
2: It's there's 100% a lot of noise and in fact when I was listening to that interview earlier I had my team switched off uh and my I, th- I think my emails were off or something and someone who I work with was trying to get hold of me and they had texted me whatsapp me emailed me teams messaged me uh there was one more um yeah I think just like a normal call as well uh on on both my personal and my work mobile so what had you done (laughs) Wow, it it was more them needing something and and, you know kind of running out of time to find out bits of information so I think I think it was more that but it just kind of heightened the fact of saying there's so many avenues at the moment if someone needs to communicate and get hold of you and I was almost sat there with both my phones going off and and then calling him back, going, did you also call in this number? Were you meant to? It's like, oh yeah, it's about the same thing. And it's like, bloody hell, you know, I didn't, I didn't know you had all these avenues to reach me. Um
1: And it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because you've got that many different avenues. When you do get a lot, like sometimes, most of the time I'm pretty good, but every now and then I'll notice on WhatsApp that I've got like four or five different notifications, and I have got groups that I've muted. Hmm. And you'll be like, oh yeah, whatever. And then be, you do miss something. Yeah, that you probably should get back to yeah. and if you've got that across multiple different platforms you can totally see why the need yeah. to be able to if you've got a diverse wor- workforce in lots of different locations to be able to go right we've got this message and we just need it to get through to them yeah. you can see why that's relevant
2: what's what's i think the biggest one though because the amount of times i've gone into a camera roll and seen pictures there and not knowing where they've come from or <laughs> you know what is this video what is this picture and then suddenly it could be actually I
1: did not download that yeah exactly
2: (laughs) and then you kind of think you're like actually this is quite important maybe I should have said something um you know uh, about a week ago there was some stuff at at the 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 kind of cricket club that I play at that needed renovation and you know they were asking for people to help out and there was a whole spreadsheet Mm. kind of sent and I went into my photos and just to find something and then I realized, I was like, oh, no, I haven't got back to this. And because i had muted that group or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it, it 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 doesn't help that we can just switch in and out of things, you know. Um, yeah. Especially when stuff is important that may need to to find the ears and eyes of, of the right people um, at that time.
1: <laughs> How do you think there has been a sustained? I mean, it's quite interesting, isn't it? This, this was recorded now a couple of months ago, mm. the interview. We're talking about a perception change towards key workers. Um, we've obviously been out of lockdown for a little while. We're kind of heading back, it would seem, towards lockdown. Wales are going back into a two-week lockdown yeah. from the 23rd. Um, do you think perception has remained changed towards key workers? Do you think organisations hopefully do still recognise that these people are the voice of their organisation? You know, G- Ross talks about gyms, hotels, hospitals. Mm do you think there's more kind of understanding and respect and kind of i suppose um what's the right word uh just an understanding that these people are putting themselves yeah. in harm's way oh. and therefore you know they they need they need to have the right information it's not just pushing stuff down to them but it's mm. a two way interaction and these people really matter to your organization especially in hospitality
2: 100% i think i think hospitality leisure if if you look kind of the nhs and then health workers aside and you look at the other kind of uh key workers i mean some of the biggest ones for me personally during the whole pandemic have been couriers and delivery drivers and and and, and hmm. those that are doing the deliveries i mean you know any one of our, our our kind of listeners just think about go back into your amazon and you know see how many things you've ordered you know aso delivery delivery yeah all these sorts of things and traditionally i think at the start of lockdown or, or my mindset anyway which i think is the same a lot of people thought oh you know these are the very kind of uh you know hands on on all hands on deck type workers traditionally they're quite low paid as well you know Mm. it it seems a bit snobby saying that but they are some of them i know how kind of delivery drivers and couriers and stuff work and they are paid per drop-off or per delivery and you know Deliveroo and all these sorts of things but if you actually think about the effect that they've had on us as people to make our lives a little bit better a little bit easier mm. than it has been but also at the same time put themselves at risk you know um I know of stories where people have gone to see relatives you know at a drop of a hat so things like um you know train drivers or you know those that work in the transport network you know these sorts of people have still been going in where there's large amounts of Interaction with people, there's you know, uh you're not necessarily in the confinement of your own house where you can call it COVID secure to a certain extent. Um but yeah, they're putting themselves at risk. And for them to have a voice and uh not just I, I guess to, to air their own kind of ideas, thoughts and opinions, but to get the news from the top, right? Because
1: Yeah. And I think that's a key point, right? Because not to have a go at the government no. on on right, I don't want to turn it into a political thing, but People are confused about regulations yeah. and the regulations do change and they are different in different locations. Exactly. So, if you've got a workforce of 10,000 people across gyms and whatever yeah. else, you need to make sure that those people do understand hmm. how whatever's going on is affecting them and whether or not they can do their job in the same yeah. way that they did
2: yesterday. 100%. 100%. And you mentioned kind of Wales at the start of this. I mean, there might be people in Wales being able to go to work today but might be look very different in four days time whereas people in London Mm -hmm. it might be completely different especially with this new tiered system and who the hell knows what's going on with that but you know for for the for the big dogs that are sending out these messages and communications hopefully they're able to articulate that to the workforce um which I think is great to be fair because WhatsApp again like you know we said in the interview it is quite a social platform it is a very you know kind of uh, social thing, and 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 also I think there's there's lines, so you could be using WhatsApp for work purposes. But if someone was to say something different, or you know, say something that may land them in trouble, is that considered a work only platform? You know, is that considered mm-hmm. a, a kind of so that opens up a whole new can of worms around behavior ethics, you know, these sorts of things, right? Um, so I think to have a platform where it is just for kind of work and operational based kind of messages and communication. I think that's a great idea, but I just hope that, I mean, I don't know how they're pricing it. I don't, I don't think we got into that in the interview, but I hope that there is, no. you know, some sort of element of whilst it is for the frontline workers, I hope that it is priced competitively to, to make it affordable. Um
1: Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, I, th- I think he talks about the fact that they'd given the NHS, the app for free, wasn't it? Mm. So, um look i mean obviously putting it out there and helping organizations where they can but obviously existing and and kind of paying their staff at the same time exactly profit with purpose exactly Exactly. one of our favorite phrases um we're going to take a quick break ross thank you for being our guest when we come back we're harking back to a conversation we had not too long ago on the podcast uh with anderson because we're having a look at a bit more innovation in the music sector Now that we're officially in the run into Christmas, why not think about giving a gift with a story behind it? Alive and Kicking are using football as a force for good and helping to support mental health education across Africa. You can do the same by giving someone a football from aliveandkicking.org forward slash shop. Now the football's come in retro 90s kit designs, so go have a look and give a unique gift that will help make a huge difference to more than just the person who receives it this Christmas. So this uh, is a quick chat. It's based on an article that I read earlier today about um, the streaming startups trying to save the music industry mid-pandemic. And it's about live performances. Cool. Um, so uh, the article, which is in The Guardian, was talking about um, people like BTS kind of making 14 million 14.6 million um through having uh, done a stream to five uh, sorry seven hundred and fifty-six thousand fans but obviously not all acts are of that kind of mm. size and scope I'm, i have no idea about why bts are big i've no, not heard any of their songs i'm not a k-pop person i can't imagine you are but they're mm. big um lots of artists aren't uh and and basically there is a new app out there or a new platform that's being brought to market by we are sound so um uh, andrea cockerton is the chief exec and they've got something called i, I can only assume it's pronounced duo it's d-i-u-o all capitals mm. DI D-O? anyway, late in this is coming out late in October, and it's a platform that will stream one off <laughs> concerts on a pay per view basis, mm-hmm. right? As well as allow acts to set up their own subscription based channels to host regular events. So, Cockerton, the, the chief exec, says she didn't want the entire platform to run on inscription uh, subscriptions because we know from Spotify what that does to the majority of artists. So, she's calling it an ethical approach to doing business whereby 10%. Right, and this is why it's relevant to today's podcast, where 10% of all revenues is paid out in grants to road crews, sound engineers, and others whose entire livelihood has gone, cool. and for whom there is minimal, if any, financial help coming from the government. We're putting where our money, where, um, sorry, we're putting our money where our mouth is. Giving the first hundred bands to stream with us a 10% portion in the business. So artists staging on the platform take the lion's share of the revenue and can draw in-house marketing and production expertise. She wants them to use small venues to stage their performances, which in turn will receive room hire fees and provide jobs for, again, out-of-work crew. Estimates that acts need around 400 tickets sold to set to cover costs, a figure that she considers viable for smaller artists. Hmm. That's what cool. I think this is really quite cool. Yeah, it is. <laughs>
2: but what what i don't what, what what i i think is great about this especially as we had that thing last was it last week or the week before with the government saying you know those in in the arts kind of industry that have been affected need to kind of look at retrain yeah them. retrain and look elsewhere um you thought you're a ballerina yeah but now you're working in oh, cyber yeah, or something terrible. yeah 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 God, um, anyway. but anyway so so it, i i think i think it's good that they're paying towards those that aren't necessarily the the kind of take all the headlines type people like the bands and the artists and the singers it's more you know like you said the the the, the kind of people behind it the production guys you know the music producers. Yeah, well, we've had
1: we've had second screen on the podcast if you remember a couple of times over the summer and they're doing great stuff yeah. and trying to help in, ensure that music carries Ooh. on but you forget that if if lady gaga doing a live stream from home she probably needs a hell of a lot less crew so all the people that would normally be surrounded Ooh. Um, you know, when they did the one world together thing, all the people that would have normally been doing a massive show for these artists suddenly they, they, they're not there. Even if the artist manages to get themselves out there via the internet, they're not. Exactly.
2: Exactly. And and also I think it needs a lot of push from the bigger artists to, uh, in my personal opinion, right. It's all Mm -hmm. well and good having the smaller bands or the smaller artists get onto this platform. Yes, there will be a fan following of some sort, but I think they need to, uh, you know, the, 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 the kind of what I'm a bit, uh, kind of shocked at is the bigger artists in the world or in the UK they've kind of not really said anything or you know kind of championed the platform maybe or you know kind of back- yeah, I, I mean it- if, if they came out and said actually we're going to be behind this platform this is what we want to do this may help you know some someone a bit more mainstream maybe and then that kind of helps yeah. the buzz going and which I'm sure they're probably working at because the, we're, we're at that age or at that age at that kind of time where we spend a hell of a lot of time on social media and all it takes is one post and stuff like this goes ape shit right
1: so so there was there was the ticketing app dice Mm. which prior to um pandemic hadn't really been in this area now they are doing live streams and lewis capaldi was the first act to use it charging five pounds a head Mm. so good to see that Lewis Crowley kind of throwing his weight behind something new, something different like that. And, mm. you know, five, five pounds for a concert, not too bad. Yeah. Um, uh, what would be great is if someone like Lewis Crowley, and I think kind of building on your point, um, and you might've been kind of suggesting the same thing. If he took someone reasonably unknown yeah. and decided to go, I'm putting on a concert for five pounds, yeah. but one, one or two of those pounds will go to my support act, yeah. who I'm going to champion. Yeah and they're going to be part of the, yeah. the production. No,
2: of 100%, 100%. Because I've heard of a few stories where, you know, there were people within the music industry that were promised kind of deals or signing on, you know, this year or towards the back end of the year, and suddenly with the pandemic, everything's been cut, right? And these people have given up their jobs, given up their livelihoods, put thousands and thousands of pounds of savings into getting that studio time and demos and all this sort of stuff done. And now it's like, right, where do I go? And, you know, they're having to now to 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 kind of be very blunt you know work back in a in a morrison's or a sainsbury's or whatever just to kind of make sure there's some income coming so they can keep a roof on their head um but i think if if the bigger artists actually then helped out rather than putting up paid ads with boohoo asos pretty little thing these sorts of people right where they're still getting money without singing or whatever then i think they would um they could really help people out Uh, from that side, yeah. in my opinion, but we need we need platforms like this because, yeah, when there's no football, like we found out a few weeks ago, and on Saturday, and you're not necessarily a Strictly Come Dancing fan, it's uh...
1: well if you're not a Strictly fan, mate, you've got no taste. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> it gets a bit boring, so you do with tuning into a concert or something like that.
1: Love love a bit of Strictly. I've been a Strictly can't, fan for can't years. Get
2: into it, mate. After after mate, even from my early twenties. After Ramprakash that was I think that was the only season that I ever watched. Coffee. Uh, think- no, no, I wasn't really a fan of him but I was a huge Ramps uh, fanboy growing up fair enough yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah Andrea Coxon we like what you're doing we're liking your use of tech to bring a platform that does something a little bit more ethical uh, so great on that maybe we'll try and see if we can get her on the yeah. show uh, apart from that Akish um, enjoy the beginning of your week mate thanks for joining no us no
2: at all. cheers